The following podcast is equivalent to a TVMA rating, thanks to the author's strong and frequent use of adult language and graphic recollection of her sexual escapades. We strongly advise listening alone or with an extremely open-minded, politically incorrect companion, such as a gay bestie. Welcome to How Bitches Are Made. I'm your host, Rachel Melvin. If you haven't listened to season one, please do that and at least listen to our introductory mini-sode so you can understand the cycle of How a Bitch is Made and further appreciate the story we're about to share. So, without further ado, let's jump right into season two, shall we? With this week's story. The following is a true story, as sad as that is for me to admit. Names have been changed to protect the innocent and the anything but. Chapter 10, Fallen Hero. I was recovering from a Christmas spent with my family and a pretty scary bout of diarrhea when an acquaintance of mine named Heather called asking if I was at my home in the desert. Thank God, given my explosive asshole, I was. Heather was someone I was introduced to in the early days of my career. We'd never really had the opportunity to get to know one another, since she lived in New York and I lived in L.A., but we often crossed paths at the occasional party whenever she was in town. As was the case most recently, when I learned she had finally made the big move out west. I was a bit apprehensive when she asked if I wanted to meet up with her, mostly because I couldn't fart without sharding, and having to explain that to someone you hardly know can get even more uncomfortable than a shard itself. Nonetheless, I decided a night out might be fun, especially considering the only human contact I'd had for the last three months had been with my handyman. When Heather arrived at my house a little more than a half hour later, she breezed right past me inside with the kind of familiarity that might otherwise indicate she'd not only been there before, but that we'd been best friends since childhood. Without so much as registering the space around her, she opened the fridge and began unloading some groceries and wine she'd picked up on her way. I have to admit, I was surprised by how comfortable Heather felt inside my home, though It was hard to be too taken aback by someone offering me alcohol from a bottle called Whispering Angel. And as the night would only continue to reveal, that was simply Heather. Everywhere she went, she carried herself with a confidence like she owned the place. And I couldn't help but be intrigued by it, especially once we found ourselves at a local bar an hour later. Heather was in the middle of telling me about how she happened into the desert solo that weekend in the first place, a spur-of-the-moment suggestion she had taken from the universe. It was just telling me to go to the desert, and I thought, okay, yes, fine, I'll go. And then I just got in my car and came, you know? Yeah. Oh, shit. That guy over there is really hot. I know. I'm going to make out with him later. She never even broke eye contact with me to see who I was referring to when she said it. Instead, she simply took a sip of her drink before pressing on with the conversation. Then, as if she had the ability to see the future, the hot guy and his friend appeared at our table moments later. Can we sit here? Sure. Just as quickly as she'd popped up from our conversation to say it, Heather popped back down, pressing on about her journey. I couldn't help but notice the guys now sitting beside us in silence, awkwardly waiting for Heather to pick up on the social cue that they clearly sat down next to us with purpose. I leaned in to whisper to her. I think they want to talk to us. Obviously, but I'm not ready to talk to them. Anyway. 
She ran her fingers through her hair before pulling it all off the cold shoulder she was giving them, artfully drawing attention to her newly exposed neck. I shifted uncomfortably in my chair while she proceeded to give the guys the same kind of treatment one gives a boy they like on the playground. Excuse me, can we get you ladies a drink? Oh, sure. I'll take a vodka soda. I'm okay, thanks. Declining an alcoholic beverage was my attempt to apologize on Heather's behalf. Not that she needed me to. I just didn't want these guys to think we were rude and lose interest, especially since Tinder had given me the unprecedented and very sad message, there's no one around you, as if that weren't already apparent enough. Unlike Heather, I never got approached by guys. Well, I never got approached by appropriate guys. The only men that ever hit on me were either married or in their 70s, sometimes both. These guys were hot, age-appropriate, had bare fingers, and from what I thought I might have heard, fucking accents. When they returned from the bar with Heather's drink a few minutes later, I thought for sure we were in the clear. After all, there was no way she was going to continue to ignore them after they bought her a drink, right? Wrong. Heather merely took it from the hot guy's hand with a flirtatious smile before turning her attention back on me and turning her back on them. I don't remember a fucking word she said after that. I was too distracted by the dejected facial reactions in my peripheral and my own shock with regard to Heather's obvious psychosis. How the hell was she so unconcerned? Was she not afraid of them getting bored and leaving? Then, as if it were all a timed game she'd become an expert at playing, she opened her body up and addressed them. Hi, thanks for the drink, you guys. I'm Heather. I'm David. Finally, I caught my breath. Rachel. Thornton. Initially, I hadn't gotten a good enough look at him to notice, but Thornton might as well have introduced himself as the man of my dreams. He was dressed like a Mumford and Son, walking through Central Park in the crisp early days of fall, and had beautiful green eyes that contrasted with his incredibly dark hair. He was tall, slightly overweight at the waistline, which tends to be what I'm into for some inexplicable reason, and he had a brutishness about him I found instantly irresistible. Turns out that brutish irresistibility was that he was black Irish. Just as I suspected, he had a fucking accent. What part of Ireland are you from? Dublin, but I've spent the last few years in England. If I'd have been pregnant, I might have thought my water broke. Ever since I've been to the UK, I suspected that's where my future husband might reside. And ever since my first and very recent sound bath experience, whereupon I had a vision of what that man might also look like, I'd been searching for him like I was walking around with a wanted poster in my pocket. So, what are you guys doing so far from home? We're here for work. What kind of work? We're inventors. There's nothing that makes my vagina tingle more than an accent. Except for maybe a heightened intellect and brain that drive the thoughts behind one. And just like that, I found myself in desperate need of a plumber. We're on our way to Vegas, actually, for an inventor's convention, but Thornton wanted to stop here on the way. He's never been. You've never been? No. And I've always wanted to try mushrooms in the desert. That's how I ended up living here, actually. Taking mushrooms in the desert? Yep. You guys want to come do some mushrooms with us tonight? Ooh, sure. That sounds like fun. I'm okay. Thanks. Oh, come on. She wants to. It wasn't that I had any problem with mushrooms, obviously. I just wasn't sure I wanted to embark on something I deemed so ceremonious with people I hardly knew. 
even if I did have hope for partaking in a different kind of ceremony altogether with one of them eventually anyway. I tried to think of an acceptable way to pass without sounding like a loser. I'm just a little pretentious when it comes to my drugs. Pretentious? Yeah, like, if I don't know where they're coming from. I just, I usually always get the best stuff. Okay, you want to call whoever you need to get what you like then? No, <laughs> they would need more notice. Rachel, come on. Let's just take theirs. I'm sure it's fine. Yeah, Rachel, and maybe you'll change your mind when you get to our Airbnb. Anytime someone so much as insinuates they might be able to coerce me into doing something I've already said no to, just makes me that much more determined not to do it. It was around this point I started to develop very strong, negative feelings about this particular group of guys. Aside from the fact that by now I'd learned Thornton had a girlfriend back home, two more of their inventor friends had joined the conversation, and I was beginning to wonder how much of that narrative was even true to begin with. After all, how many hot, young, single inventors do you know, let alone walking around the desert? While I certainly didn't feel comfortable following a group of five guys I didn't know to a rental property in the middle of nowhere, Heather seemed game, and though I didn't know her that well, I felt I knew her well enough to know that if I didn't join her, she'd go without me. So despite my weariness and misgivings, I followed the taillights of three cars down a few dirt roads to a dome-shaped rental house situated a few miles off the freeway. When we pulled up to the dimly lit property, I shifted the car into park and turned off the ignition. Now, it was my turn to ignore the men waiting for us nearby. Unlike Heather, I hadn't consumed anything they'd given me. I was 95% sober, had my bearings, and watched enough Dateline to know how shit like this tends to go south pretty fucking fast. I instructed her to stay in the car for a moment while I sifted through my center console in search of my pepper spray and knife. Here, take this in case something bad happens. What the fuck? You carry this with you? Hell yeah, I do. I don't fucking trust anybody. Also, we should send our location to some friends real quick so they know where we're at. You don't really think that something bad is going to happen to us, do you? I don't know, but I want to be prepared if it does. Okay, let's not stay too long. I just kind of want to see where things go with Dave and then we can leave. I wasn't sure if it was my weaponry prompting her to say that, or if the liquor was making her less inclined to put forth the necessary effort to sleep with someone she may have only been lukewarm about. No matter. We exited the car and made our way toward the dome-shaped dwelling. As we ascended the front steps, we were greeted by a charming, albeit nerdy, looking Jewish boy who introduced himself as Josh. He was sober, friendly, and seemed like he was either the only real inventor of the group or the poor unlucky bastard the rest of these guys were in the midst of hazing. Nonetheless, I felt way more at ease with him around, especially once Dave started with the peer pressure. He handed Heather a mushroom and, much to my surprise, she pretended to eat it before placing it inside her bag without him any wiser. He tried to get me to take one too, moving on to weed once he saw I wasn't budging. I took the pipe from his hand to appease him, only to set it down on the counter after he moved off with Heather toward the bedroom. With Thornton also off talking to his girlfriend on the telephone in another bedroom somewhere, I took a seat on the floor of the living room, opposite the three remaining men whose strength easily outweighed my own. I did my best to avoid enticing the elephant in the room and the glass of water that had been poured for me out of my eyesight by absentmindedly flipping through the pages of a book that was on the coffee table in front of me. It was hard enough maintaining a sterile conversation the entire time, and the fact the book happened to be a compilation of a famous photographer's nudes certainly wasn't making things any easier. 
A few minutes later, while trying to nonchalantly shield a photo of nipples from men resembling a pack of wolves, I got a text from Heather. We need to get the fuck out of here. Is everything okay? Like now. Okay, I'm ready. Just then, Heather burst out of the room and beelined for me on the living room floor. She pulled me out by the arm and led me straight out the door. No explanation, no goodbyes. As we started down the same dirt road we'd driven up, I turned to Heather seated in the passenger seat beside me. What the hell happened? Dude, Rachel, those guys wanted to fuck us. Yeah, no kidding. No, but like, they they all wanted to fuck us, and maybe even each other. I, I don't know, I just got really weird fucking vibe, and I knew we had to leave. What happened in that room? He just kept wanting me to go into the jacuzzi, and I was like, bro, I don't want to go in the fucking jacuzzi. And he was just like, wouldn't let it go. Given my unfamiliarity with Heather's personality, her tolerance level, and the facts surrounding the whole situation in general, I wasn't sure if it had really been all that simple. But if it meant I got to go home and collapse on my ortho mattress that much sooner, so be it. I figured Heather would tell me what she was comfortable with when she was comfortable telling me, and so continued our drive back to my place without pressing the issue. Later that night, with Heather sleeping over in my guest room, I laid in bed wondering about the cosmic relevance of the whole evening. What was the significance of her coming to my home in the desert in the first place? Was I meant to show her how to protect herself? After all, she did leave her drink unaccompanied with strangers at the bar, and she did blindly agree to meet up with said strangers in seclusion to take drugs. Not that she actually did, though. Was it possible, perhaps, I needed some guidance from her? She did demonstrate how to be more assertive, and showed me what it was like to enjoy being treated like a lady without apology or obligation. Then again, maybe there was no significance at all. Just some crazy story I'd get to write about one day. The next morning, as the sun began to shed light on the desert floor, so too did it on the answers to all my questions. As Heather and I chatted over breakfast, she informed me of what had really brought her to the desert. A breakup and a deep desire to find out who she was without anyone else around to influence who that might be. She told me she'd never taken a trip on her own before, and even though it only began a couple hours earlier, she'd already experienced and learned so much about herself. Things she liked, things she didn't, and things she wanted to improve upon. It was around this point I felt my guard drop, a guard I didn't even realize I had up with her to begin with. The truth was, Heather was known for having an intense energy that most people were as intrigued by as they were intimidated, and I was no exception. I'd subconsciously kept her at arm's length, cautious of whatever I felt I needed to be, I guess, but as I witnessed her that morning, leaning into a raw vulnerability I myself didn't even possess at that point, I couldn't help but admire her and her strength. It was immediately clear the universe had brought us together for a very specific purpose. This sounds exactly like what I went through last year. It's part of the reason I moved here, actually. Okay, so... I worked on this project a while ago with this guy, Von Viaro. Oh, God. What? Nothing. He's just, like, the douchiest guy ever. Do you know him? Personally? Oh, I know him. Too well. Please tell me you didn't sleep with him, too. There's nothing worse than sharing a crush with a friend. Unless, of course, that friend is hotter than you are. And has already fucked that crush. You slept with him? No, fuck no. I haven't slept with him. But, like, every single one of my girlfriends have. Really? Yeah. He slept with, like, three of my friends and fucked around with, like, five others. 
He, like, sends me dick pics and videos of Marco Polo all the fucking time. Are you sure we're talking about the same person? Von Viara. Yeah, he's a dog! Oh my god, it was so funny when we all realized he was, like, plowing through our circle or whatever. We sent him a video of us all together, and he was like, oh, oh, that's so crazy. You all know each other. It's like, yeah, motherfucker, we do. And we all know what you're up to. I can't believe we're talking about the same person. It was hard to believe her. That is, until she pulled out her phone and started showing me photos of Vaughn pulling out his cock. There he was, my hero, acting like a mere Hollywood mortal shamelessly pining after girls half his age and sending stereotypical come-ons accompanied by dick pics. So wait, you two never hooked up though? No, I mean, every time we were supposed to like hang out or whatever, he vanishes all of a sudden. Yeah, that's what he does. He like gets off on having all these groupies or whatever. I don't get it. So wait, what does Vaughn have to do with you coming here though? I couldn't bring myself to tell her the truth. Most likely because of the lump that had situated itself in my throat. But also because I couldn't face the truth myself. That, much like every other guy I'd pined after, I had put Vaughn up on a pedestal. That I used him as a beacon of light to guide me through some of the most challenging and trying times I'd yet to experience. That every time I felt incapable or lonely, I'd ask myself the now very pathetic and embarrassing question, WWVD? using his image to get me back up on the horse. And in that this very moment, I was realizing the one person I thought was different from everyone else in Hollywood was not only the same, he was a giant fucking fraud. And just like that, I felt an overwhelming urgency to rush to the toilet yet again. Only this parasite would do far more damage than the one I'd had 24 hours earlier, and it would be a lot harder to recover from. All right, everybody, welcome to season two of How Bitches Are Made. I'm so excited to be back. We have a really, really fun season in store for you guys. We're going to bring on some guest commentators to talk about some hot topics, some important issues that I am very passionate about, just to inform the masses, talk about things that a lot of us are probably feeling that we can relate to, and to get a lot of different perspectives, because obviously I have my own that's unique to my experience, and I'd like to expose you to some of the other experiences that I've had the pleasure of getting to know through this them sharing it with me. So I'm going to bring on some friends, some professionals, and we're going to talk about a lot of exciting stuff. But for now, we are going to start with this week's story, and we're talking about fallen heroes. Now, I know a lot of people can relate to this. It's so disappointing to meet somebody that you have such high expectations of meeting, only to be severely let down. And this story is kind of about that. There was this person that I held in a very high regard and really looked up to, not just as an artist, but as a human being. And he really embodied the kind of woman that I wanted to be, but as a man. Now, in case it's not clear, the kind of woman I want to be is like a man. I want to be equal to a man. I want to be as self-sufficient and driven and in control and as respected and have just as much opportunity and respect. That's sort of what this whole bitch journey is really about, right? Is living life like a man, but as a woman, and incorporating the unique qualities of being a woman into that. Now, before we get too into talking about Vaughn, let's talk about my friend Heather. 
because she is a very, very special person that really rocked my world and kind of turned it upside down for the better. Obviously, this was not her intention when she came to see me, but this was, in my opinion, divine intervention causing the kind of upheaval I really needed in my life in order to start living it in a way that felt more fulfilling. In a lot of ways, I feel like Heather really embodies the perfect kind of bitch, or at least the definition of one that I'm giving, especially when it comes to getting a male's attention, which is something I've never been very good at. So I want to go over a few things that I learned from her that I think are really important to note. One, her unwavering confidence. This bitch is the most confident woman I've ever gotten to know and hung out with. She owns a room. I didn't really know what that looked like until I met Heather. Not not even until I met her, but till I started hanging out with her and seeing how she operates. I mean, she really walks around like she knows her value and her self-worth. And that was something I found so captivating about her, particularly that night. And not just that, she genuinely does what she wants on her terms without apology, which is something I obviously preach, but have had to really practice a significant amount and still continue to practice in order to achieve that. And it seems like, to me, some people might just innately have that. And if they do, it's Heather. Otherwise, she learned at a very young age. And I commend her because this is, it's just not a quality that I particularly witness a lot of women having. So it was something I really thirsted for for myself. A perfect example of this is just pointing to the part in the story where she was not at all worried about the guys losing interest. She wanted to take her time with her girlfriend, me, and if they were still around when she was done, great. And if they weren't, their loss. The number one thing that we're attracted to is confidence. Because we all want it for ourselves, it's just a very attractive quality. And if you remember me saying last season, People usually pine after others who exemplify characteristics we crave for ourselves. So if someone is adventurous, you crave them because you are craving adventure in your life. If they seem very free, well, you're obviously thirsting for freedom. So when it came to Heather, she exemplified a significant amount of confidence, and I wanted to be confident. I think that's why, in addition to many other amazing qualities that this particular friend of mine has, men just flock to her all the time. And it was kind of fun to be in her world witnessing that because it was so foreign to my own. But it also, you know, prompted the unfolding of this very odd, odd evening that I had never experienced. I never really went through what you might call like a party stage. I didn't go to college. I just never really got into drinking until I was like in my mid-20s. And arguably even now until my my early 30s really because I just – I don't know. I don't love drinking. I prefer smoking weed. I make that very publicly known. Um, it's just the way my body chemistry I guess interacts with a plant versus a grape. I don't know. (laughs) But we ended up having this like really crazy evening that I had never experienced. And it was this experience that started this huge upheaval in my life. Okay, so what is this upheaval? Last season, I kind of teased to you guys about how there was another big epiphany that I had. 
The big epiphany is that I have always grown up being wanting to be a very, very independent, successful, career-driven woman. What I didn't necessarily focus on was getting married, having kids, buying a home, doing all these domesticated things. So what I learned through the process of buying my own home is why people usually wait to get married before buying a home. <laughs> you really want to have a partner that's there for you and in your corner, at least to kind of share in the stress and make it a little more easy to endure. But basically what we're going to explore throughout the course of this season is why I realized that being alone and independent was not everything I kind of romanticized it to be. And why now I really, really crave partnerships, not just romantically, but in friendships. And Heather, I think she really started the ball rolling on me coming to this realization. Not just because she was one of the first people I thought that I could actually learn from, which I know sounds very egotistical to say, but I think it's been a challenge for me to find people who challenge me. And Heather was certainly someone that kind of opened my eyes to this and also offered the opportunity for me to grow and learn through her example. And let's really quickly talk about my reference to why I believe the universe had brought us together. I've obviously already mentioned the things that I felt I was getting from Heather, what she was brought there to teach me, what I was supposed to learn from. But I think in the moment, it was probably overshadowed by what I felt I needed to do for her. I think as women or people that were raised in the very stereotypical way I'm referencing women being raised could probably relate to the fact that I'm always looking for how I can be of assistance to others as opposed to how people can be of assistance to me, which is a very rare quality in Hollywood, I know. Um, I'm like a unicorn that way. <laughs> but but I, I was certainly doing that this night. I felt when we went to the bathroom, I noticed that she didn't bring her drink with her. And I remembered learning that when I was pretty young, to never leave your drink unattended to never have it handed to you by strangers unless you see it being poured and mixed by the bartender, just to make sure that nobody's putting anything in your drink, right? And when you're talking even to keep your hand over the top of your cup so no one can just pop something in when your head is turned. So these were all things that I was noting Heather wasn't doing. And I certainly was like, okay, if when we go back to that table, she tries to drink her drink, I'm not going to let her. It's funny to me how when physical safety becomes an issue, how all of a sudden then I don't give a shit what people think of me, which is totally normal. But I wish I could tap into that kind of intensity with that same kind of urgency just in everyday life about any fucking issue. That's the thing that Heather exemplified that I thought was so great about her. But then there were other things that I noticed she did too that indicated she had a complete lack of regard for safety. She was just totally willing to go do drugs with strangers in a bar at like a remote rental home, which I would never dream of doing. Kudos to her for saying yes to things. That's something I'm trying to do more of is say yes, because you never know what you're going to get from an opportunity. Now, we didn't get anything from this, and I imagine Heather probably felt more safe with me, and then we shared our location with a friend so people knew where we were. We were we were taking all of these extra precautions. I think it maybe got, I can't speak for her, but I think it maybe got very real for her when I took out the pepper spray and knife. 
And then when we got into the house and she started feeling like this weird energy and knew we had to leave and maybe she just didn't realize the weird energy as quickly as I did or maybe, you know, I hate to say it again, but maybe she was penis blind. Like once I found out Thornton had a girlfriend, I was like, oh, fuck this. Like, you know, I guess I'm just a wingman now. So I could pay attention to all these other little details where if he didn't have a girlfriend, maybe I would have been just as willing to put myself into a situation that was not necessarily safe because I was focused on, you know, getting laid or getting a boyfriend. And that again is just my point. Women are so focused on relationships or having somebody that we we often have a disregard we often lack self-respect in the process I think is what I'm trying to say in one regard or another and Heather had it in one regard I had it in the complete opposite regard meaning she had self-respect when it came to being treated like a lady and I had self-respect when it came to putting myself in situations that I knew were safe So those were the two lessons I think we were supposed to learn from each other just that day. And that was just the tip of the iceberg as to why the universe brought us together. So now let's talk a little bit about Vaughn. When we got back to my house, you guys, this was like a bomb, honestly, that went off. This was a person that I just held in such a high regard. And finding out that they were nothing like the person they led me to believe they were was, I just felt like I had been gut punched. And it really, really rocked my world to the point where I questioned the the entire business that I was in. I thought, okay, if this one person that I thought was actually sincere and genuine and amazing and had good moral values is just like everybody else, then everyone's the same. Which of course is not true because I'm not that way and I'm in the business. But at the time, I think psychologically, it really, really upset me. And I mean upset me to the point where it upset my whole life. Every decision I had made for the last year and a half up to this point had been with the idea of how this other person lived their life, which I know sounds crazy, but in retrospect, I can't say it was because I'm I'm very happy with having gone through what I did. And in reality, you know, while I had one fallen hero, I did have another hero rise, and that was the hero that I found in myself. Because ultimately, I was the one making these decisions and doing these things and creating this life for myself. But I wouldn't come to realize that for, you know, a little bit of time still. The thing with Vaughn was that I think I always tried to keep our relationship professional and platonic. And when people around the time of our first meeting had insinuated he liked me romantically, I just couldn't believe it. I was like, there's no way. This guy is the creme de la creme of Hollywood. There's no way he'd be interested in somebody like me. No, like he's a he's a big brother. We're going to be friends. We're going to he's going to be kind of like a mentor. And frankly, at this point in my life, I had tried to reach out to him with that as my sole intention for him to be my mentor. And I could never ask him that question because every time I did try to reach out, he would disappear, just as I explained to Heather. And I didn't really understand why. And I think the last time I had talked to him at the time that the story was taking place and to this day, actually, he did start to make the conversation sexual, which I thought was very weird because I hadn't seen him in so long. And I kind of laughed it off and made a joke and then finally got to this point where I was like, you know what, if he's the person that I think he is, 
I am going to hold him accountable for his actions and call him out. And he'll either prove to me that he's a good guy and apologize or he'll prove me wrong. And this was before Heather came into my life. And he he did prove me wrong. But I think I didn't really want to admit that to myself because of what it would mean. So when this all unfolded with Heather and she showed me these videos and these photos and these text messages, I was just like, holy shit. He really is like every other actor I've ever known. And it just really, really threw me for a loop. So now I want to talk about false gods. So we tend to go after an idea rather than a reality, which is exactly what happened here. Now, I referenced the sound bath experience that I had in this story, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about that because it's really funny. I went to the sound bath. I'd never gone to one before. I was kind of looking for some sort of epiphany or awareness. So I went in with this question that I had in mind and it was, am I going to be successful? Am I going to book a really big movie or series or something? I was looking for some kind of guidance or validation. And I had this very, very weird premonition that this year I was going to meet the man I was supposed to marry and that I already knew him. And it was so far away from what I'd been focusing on that I couldn't help but kind of read into it. I was like, that's very weird. That came out of left field. It wasn't even on my mind. What does this mean? It must be real. It must be true. And so I started going down this kind of Rolodex, if you will, hypothetically, obviously, uh, of the guys that I knew in my life that I'd either dated that I had unfinished business with or friends of mine that I had kept close but never fooled around with. And that really only left two people. I will let you infer what you wish from that statement. Um, And one of the people, I'll just say it because he won't care, is my really, really good friend, Mark Hapka. And I was like, there's no way it's Mark. There's just no way. He is such a brother to me. It can't be. So then that only left Vaughn. And I was so sure it was Vaughn because I have to be so vague to preserve anonymity anonymity. Oh my God, I cannot say this word. It's so hard for me. Hopefully you know what I mean. I'm a flawed human. Forgive me. Uh, of this, of Vaughn and his real identity. So I cannot tell you all these characteristics that he had, but they matched. So I think that when I'd had that sound bath experience, I really was walking around with like a wanted poster in my pocket. And I had this idea of who this person was. And I was so hell bent on finding them and focused. And I just kept building things up in my head. And of course, that is super dangerous, right? That's how we put people up on pedestals. Because in reality, I hadn't seen Vaughn in maybe three or four years. People can change in 12 months, let alone 48. And I think that I thought... (laughs) When I met him, he was going to see that I was a successful, independent, secure woman who had her own house, who had the same morals and upbringing, the same goals, the same philosophies. And I thought he'd be like, oh, my God, where have you been all my life? And we would just end up together. But that is how 16-year-old girls think. And I'm sorry if that sounds insensitive, but it's true. We create this fantasy that is not based on reality, and it creates these expectations, and then we can only be disappointed, which is exactly what happened once Heather dropped this bomb on me. And the unfortunate thing that happened when she did was that I began to doubt the biggest decision, the biggest decisions I'd ever made in my life. I was like, if I made all of this to follow in the footsteps of my hero, and my hero is a fraud, what does that make me? 
Obviously, it makes me a bomb-ass bitch because I fucking did it anyway. But obviously, at the moment, I was certainly not feeling badass. In fact, I was feeling very foolish and disappointed because I was repeating the same old patterns, putting people on pedestals. And I was supposed to be beyond this. I'd already been working on the podcast. I'm preaching these messages. So to feel like I'm not even following my own advice also makes me feel like a fraud. And the truth was... I was going after this kind of person and idolizing him because his life represented the life that I wanted to have for myself. And I created it. So what was actually happening now, I think, unbeknownst to me, was I was realizing I created this beautiful home and I had no one to celebrate it with. I had an empty home. And that really didn't feel good. And I think that brings up a really interesting question of identity. I really didn't know who I was, what I wanted, what I was good at, what I should want in my life. You know, did I want kids? Do I want to get married? Do I want any of these things or do I just think I want them because of society and therefore then I convince myself I didn't want them to rebel? I just, this is why I'm saying it like threw me for such a loop because it really spawned this whole new kind of chaos in my life of figuring out who I was and what I wanted. Not because other people had it and seemed happy, not because people had told me this is the perfect life to have, but because it's genuinely what I found fulfilling. So I suppose then that's why it almost felt like I saw behind the curtain and started realizing everything that I'd been after was fantasy, not reality, even the idea of being an actor. Why did I want to be an actor? to what work with other hot actors and fool around with them to be famous to have a lot of money to have this lifestyle where I could travel anywhere I wanted for work and have all these wonderful opportunities and accolades well no that's not my personality I want to work with other artists that are aimed at telling stories because we have the platform to do that and the ability then to change a person's way of thinking that might make the world a better place if they were more open-minded. That's really why I wanted to do all of this. And I didn't feel that I shared that with anyone else in Hollywood. Not anyone that I'd met. I felt like I shared that with Vaughn, but obviously I didn't. And obviously this was just the narrative I was telling myself at the time. It's certainly, again, not how I feel now. And it's certainly not indicative of the people that actually are in this business. There are tons of great people. I just didn't have them in my life. And Heather coming into my life was one of the very first good people that would be. She embodied the kind of woman I strived to become in a lot of ways. She introduced me to a lot of amazing women like her that were artistic, that were very talented and smart and intellectual and really had each other's back, which is so hard to find women like that, let alone in a city like LA. She really was a godsend. But none of this would be very clear to me for a a few months, at least. And as we're going to explore throughout the course of this season, I had to go through a very, very dark period before I would see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm just really, really grateful that I had Heather by my side ever since this moment to go through it. And I guess this story just sort of serves as a reminder to not repeat patterns, not put people on pedestals, and to realize that if we're thirsting for something in our lives, 
we're thirsting after something or somebody, it's because whatever that represents to us is what we're missing in our lives. And again, we covered this last season, but it's something that we always have to practice. And when we feel we've failed or disappointed ourselves, we have to remember it is a practice. One of my favorite quotes is the universe will constantly put you in the same situations that serve the purpose of teaching you the same lesson until you've learned it. I think I may have mentioned that last season as well. And this was the final time that I would put somebody on a pedestal because after this, I really did learn my lesson. I know a lot of you out there probably have people that you really admire. And I think it's great to use people as pillars of inspiration. But we have to keep in mind that they are flawed human beings that are just like us. No matter how grandiose their lives appear on social media, in gossip magazines or columns. Do they have gossip columns anymore? I don't even fucking know. Um, Or on TV or in the media in general. We are all the same at the root of it, despite our differences and despite our privileges. It's really important to just be mindful of the symbols we're using to make the choices in our life that we think we want. And that's the note that I'll end on on this week. Um, Be sure to join us next week. We, again, have a really exciting season in store for you. I want to thank you all for being loyal supporters and advocates of our message and our podcast and for listening. And thank you all for your patience in between seasons. It is just me doing this on my own, so it takes a little bit longer than you and I would both like. But we're back, and we're better than ever, and I'm so excited for you guys to hear the stories. And, of course, course, I really want to hear your guys' feedback. Please message us at info at howbitchesaremade.com if you just have something you want to say that we could work on, something that you love about the show, a question you might have about your own experience in life, maybe you need guidance on, a story that you'd like us to feature and share that you feel maybe we kind of touched upon a topic it refers to. Um, I really want this to be a collaborative process that involves our audience. So please, please involve yourself in whatever way possible. If you don't want to send us an email, be sure to follow us on Instagram. We are at How Bitches Are Made. And Twitter, we are at Habam, H-B-A-M, tweets. Tweet us, follow us, like us, retweet, reshare, subscribe, and most importantly, review. Please, please, please review. It's super important for us to grow our community and get our message out. And you can do that wherever you're listening to this podcast now. I also want to invite you to listen to our next episode, which is a deep dive into this week's story, Fallen Heroes, where we discuss more perspectives, more insights, and go a little bit more in depth and in detail, a little behind the scenes, if you will, of this week's story. I'm going to be bringing on our new co-host for the season, my fiance, Kevin Barrett. So it'll be a really exciting, refreshing take getting a male perspective. So be sure to listen to that episode, which will be released with this one. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. How Bitches Are Made is written and produced by Rachel Melvin. A special thank you to this week's guest stars who helped us with our reenactments for the story. Francesca Ruscio, Cameron Gari, Mark Hapka, and as always, Steve Tom. <laughs>